0: Geek Vibes Nation, this is your pal, Zane, another enticing, wonderful episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, here on Geek Fives, the uh, blog talk radio thing. But anyways, we have another wonderful episode, uh, pay-per-view to go over, you know, Raw, Smackdown, a bunch of wrestling, but we also have, of course, my co-host, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton. How are you doing this evening, good sir?
1: Good, man. How about you? How's it
0: going? I feel like, by the way I'm talking and my brain's working at the same time, the the coffee's, like, kicking in, but it's not working fully. So it's like they're fighting against each other. It should be a lot of fun for this show. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hopefully I'm not the drizzling shits. Anyways, out there in Geek 5's Nation, if you guys want to uh, join our conversation and call and not be an asshole, God dang, we keep on getting some trolls. Uh, call Calling at nine nine four seven seven three seven eight one. You'll be listening at that point. Press one, and you will join us in the conversation. Uh, like I said, we're going to be going over extreme rules, raw, SmackDown, and then we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth with some eighties uh, eighties um, versus nineties fantasy booking between me and Chris. Just to, you know because we're dorks. And uh, oh yeah, that's all. That that's the only reason I have for you is Macho Man, and that should be enough for you. So, anyways, let's get to extreme rules. Chris, this was actually, let me just go into things. I think that both of us would probably feel there's there's one weak spot, maybe two, but this was a pretty damn good pay-per-view. Uh, do, do you agree with me?
1: Uh, overall, yeah, I thought it was uh, very enjoyable, especially considering it's not one of the major pay-per-views. I mean, it was obviously carried by a couple of big matches, but uh, it was a good pay-per-view overall. I, I did enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I even thought the uh pre show or yeah, the pre show match uh was good and let's actually go over that match. Uh kick up match happened, uh, before the actual events on the pre show. Kalisto went against Apollo Cruz, uh the whole Titus brand keeps on getting bigger and bigger, or he's trying at least. Uh but it was going back and forth. Uh the match was great. Uh Apollo Cruz did a a back thing of the jigger. I don't know what it's called exactly, but uh you know, just on his feet, which was amazing, seeing this guy do that type of stuff. Of course, Titus got to screw things up. Titus O'Neil got on the apron to argue with Cruz. Callisto walked up. Titus smacked him and then hit the Saldana del Sol on Cruz with a pinfall victory. I thought this was a really good match. I like that they're keeping Caliso, uh relevant. I like Apollo Cruz, and I like what they're doing with Titus. I just don't know if they know where they're going with it. I'm, I'm assuming they kind of don't, and they're just playing it by ear which I would not recommend. But how did you feel about the pre-show match, Chris?
1: You know, I thought it was a pretty good match. I just hope that they don't keep treading the same water with uh, with Kalisto. Maybe they can, you know, put another guy in there and do a similar spots. Um, I hope it's leading to an Apollo Crews heel turn at some point, or at least those two turning against each other. Though I'm not really looking forward to an Apollo crews Titus O'Neal match, but... Uh, it it was okay for a pre-show match. I thought it was it was decent. They actually gave them a little bit of time to work in the ring, so that was that was great. Uh, these pre-shows are just brutal to get through, man. So I think I caught this match when it was already like 2 or 3 minutes in progress because I was flipping back and forth uh, on and off the pre-show just cuz I mean it's just it's literally just everything you see on SmackDown and Raw in video packages. It's like what they used to play before the pay-per-views like if you flipped to the channel and you didn't buy the pay-per-view but they would still play the previews for it it's like exactly that so i don't know if they just have the same guy working or not i don't understand why they can't put more matches on the pre-show or or do like a talking raw or talking smack more type deal with actual wrestling characters more often i think that would be more entertaining but the match itself was pretty good um and I like the angle that they're doing with Apollo Crews and Titus O'Neil and the, the Titus brand, but I don't know where it's going. So it's, I'm kind of in the same boat as you as far as how I felt about it.
0: Yeah, well, we, we hope that it's going where Titus becomes – he's making money in basically, and he's doing a Ted DiBiase, and, you know, Apollo's his young Virgil, and then Virgil's going to screw him over, but he's actually going to be a good wrestler when he does it. Uh, oh, man, that was kind of brutal, but that's all right. Anyways – uh, I agree with you, though. Uh, the pre-show, they could put more matches. Uh, you know, instead of having to listen to uh, David Otongo, who's not joining the comedy crew yet, they're keeping Booker T, find it a little bit weird. I know he's doing a movie, but apparently he's going to be out until August. So I didn't know the movie was doing that whole entire thing that long. But, uh, yeah, I, all I'm trying to say is, like, hearing him talk with to Renee Young and the weird-looking uh, dude with the red curly hair, uh, I don't know what the hell that thing is. But, um it seems unnecessary for them just to, like, go over something we could have a match. I mean, we have problems with this on SmackDown, but they're more segments. At least they're driven towards a storyline. They're just reiterating everything, kind of like what we do, but we're not cutting up, you know, a potential wrestling match before a pay-per-view. So I do agree with you completely on that. Let's get to the actual main card. All right, first match, which was a great match, and I love the chemistry between these two guys. The Intercontinental Championship match: The Miz defeated Dean Ambrose, who was the reigning champion. All right, so the stipulation for this match said that if Ambrose was disqualified, he would lose the championship. Miz tried to seal the deal or uh, steal the title by ordering Maurice to slap him, but the referee saw that and ejected her from the place. As she was being ejected, Miz tossed Ambrose into the referee. The ref did not, I, I guess, realize how that's a common thing that fucking happens and thought that Ambrose did it on purpose and started to DQ Ambrose. Uh, during the confusion, he's walking up around the ring, the ref, um, over to, like, call the bell. And during this whole entire thing, the Miz came up, did a roll-up, or no, did the skull-crushing finality to become the seven-time Intercontinental Championship Champion. I thought the match was good. I liked the spots. I liked what they were going for, the story they told. I love that, even, like, with the, you know, they took off the, um, the corner part, and Dean Ambrose stopped himself and smacking Miz on that thing. You know, it, it was great that Miz was trying to set up Dean Ambrose because Dean Ambrose, I mean, all the way back to his start, he's always been, like, reckless. I mean, that, that that's how he wrestles and stuff. And I just like the stuff that they do back and forth. A lot of it reminds me kind of um, – you, you'll have to go back to the Royal Rumble. I, love, I believe it's 90 where Ric Flair won. But, like, the reactions that Miz gives – Dean Ambrose, I feel, is similar to when Ric Flair, when Roddy Roddy Piper came to the ring. And, like, Rick's like, oh, no, not this crazy asshole. Like, that whole, they're good at playing off each other, and I really enjoyed the match. Uh, how did you like the match, Chris? Uh, I,
1: I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I wasn't too keen on where they put some of the DQ or fake DQ spots. Uh, for instance, the smack. I think that probably should have happened like right off the bat. It didn't really make sense for Miz to drag that out. Cause that would have been the most obvious way to get Dean disqualified. Um, so that was okay. And I, I guess, and then there was the, uh, the turnbuckle spot that you talked about. And I just really can't remember anyone getting disqualified for, you know, using the turnbuckle. Well, usually when it gets exposed and the ref sees it, he tries to cover it back up and then it gets left open. And then someone takes a bump off of it, but they were trying something different. So I don't, hate that too much. It was was a good match, but it was built all around, you know, the match's gimmick, which we kind of assumed going in. And uh, I thought it was also kind of dumb that the Miz, seeing the Dean was about to get disqualified, hit him with a skull-crushing finale anyways to get the pin, because, like, what if he would have kicked out? It would have made Miz look really fucking stupid.
0: Uh, Yeah, because that doesn't make Miz look guilty as shit.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of a weird... Weird situation, but uh, overall the match was. was I thought it, I thought both guys looked good in the match. It, it was a decent match, and it set up for a pretty cool segment on Raw. So, um, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty cool. They mentioned that Dean was currently holding the title longer than anyone in the company, and all I could think to myself is like, Yeah, well, you guys switch the fucking title every ten minutes, so that's not surprising. Because he had held it for like 152 days or something, I want to say. 150 days or something like that going into this match. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they leave it on uh, Miz a while and then where they go after, I guess, Ambrose is probably going to get a rematch, I would assume, and then where they go after that with the way the main event currently just dominates Raw as far as how the competition is geared. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do.
0: Well, it's interesting. You brought up uh, one thing that uh, I completely agree with, like, you know, Uh, basically, this is going to keep on building, obviously, from where they're going, but, you know, what are they going to do after this? Like, where is the Intercontinental Championship going forward after The Miz and Dean Ambrose are done feuding with it? They literally travel from SmackDown to Raw to do this. Um, So that's my one concern, because you have a lot of big guys, and if Dean Ambrose, apparently, uh, there's... You know, the whole rumor that he's going to be going heel soon. Uh, If that's true, who is he getting set up to go heel with? Uh, You know, the Miz obviously is the biggest heel on Raw, uh, besides Samoa Joe. Um, Maybe on the same level, you know, in a lot of rights. After Monday night, though, I don't know. Samoa Joe's scary. Anyways, uh, another thing that you, you were kind of alluding to that I kind of, this is separate from this, but this whole match represents something that kind of bothers me. I know for a fact it bothers a lot of the older fans. Um, should they bring back and incorporate certain things with the referee or at least treat the referee like they're a real person there more in wrestling? I, I think that doing so kind of gives you more of a belief system with the product itself. When your referee is is calling stuff and it's actually like the, you know, the person playing off, especially the heel, the heel should be kissing the ref's ass and apologizing as soon as he turns his back doing stuff, not doing it blatantly in front of him. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, even as stupid like uh, Booker T was screwing up, I think, uh, and he was saying about, like, oh, you know, Dean Ambrose needs to worry about those open hand um, or those closed hand punches. Those are not allowed. And recently they went over the rules, and actually that's now allowed. Um, You know, climbing on top rope, calling, just, you know, counting and stuff like that. Stuff like that I think that incorporated, or at least if they made it more so that the referee's just not there you know, incorporating them more in the match, I think that would make the dynamic a hell of a lot stronger. Do you agree with that, or do you understand where they've gone with how they treat the referees lately?
1: I think the WWE needs to settle once and for all what their rules are right now as far as a company goes. And a good way to do that in a way that would might work for someone like the Miz is, is to actually read the rule book in a promo or something and just kind of hit the high marks of it and then get interrupted by the baby old. face. Genius. Um, but, yeah, I think they need to clarify some of that because at me growing up, yeah, you're not allowed to punch someone with a closed fist. And then, like, you'd see Big Show doing, like, his finisher, and that's a closed fist, but technically that's, he should get reprimanded by the referee. Um, So you get in this weird spot. Now, obviously... They're trying to associate more and more of—I uh, don't want to say strong style—but uh, of the UFC as far as you know how they're locking on submission holds or, or how some of their punches look. I mean, I think we saw a couple matches recently where we had like mounted punches and elbows um, in the match itself. So that, I mean, I think they just needed to hit the rules and decide what they want to do and then stick with them. That way, you don't—I mean, that's not Booker T's fault. The guy wrestled in the NWA and early WCW days and those were the rules like you can't <laughs> close hand punch somebody <laughs> so for him to say that you know on commentary I I don't I'm not giving him any grief for that because I don't think WWE actually knows what the rules are they just kind of play it by ear um, half the time they did release an official rule book and I think it would be hilarious to have someone like the Miz or, or just you know maybe even um, a, the revival or someone bring it up and because, like, it's good for the heels to know the rules because then they know how to break them. So for them to go over the rules, they can exploit, you know, the good guys and get those D2 finishes. And you don't have to constantly do run-ins that way. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about that concept as far as, like, having someone actually read the rules or something on TV?
0: Chris, I actually – I love the idea. I think that's brilliant. I think that if you use that in a gimmick, like a uh, some type of storyline, I think that would be great. Like I said, the revival, like, they bring out, here's the WWE official rule book. These are every single rule we're going to break while we're here. And they, like, do a thing where they, they they count a certain amount every time they come out or some shit like that. Like, that would be hilarious and kind of put everything in stone. And I completely agree with you. If they do that, if they incorporate actual rules and say, this is how it is now, you know, obviously going over the top rope, that doesn't get you disqualified. It's not old school NWA but, like, certain things, you've got to listen to the referee, and we're going to, like, start giving the referee more power. Have it so that if they do it, the referee, you know, a couple times kind of throws a, you know, screw someone over, disqualify someone, just so it's, like, known. And I would like the ref to get, like, a little more power. I think that is the best way to do it. Because if you're going to – obviously, we all know it's a work and stuff like that. And if you just, you know, found out and I just screwed up Santa Claus for you, I'm sorry. But – you know, I, I think for the audience, if they had this incorporated, it would make it look more realistic, and also it would just give the referee something to do besides being like, hey, no, 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 don't you do that, no, no, no. Like, yeah, I just, it's it's pointless. All right, well, let's go over the drizzling shits of the pay per view, the next two matches. <sighs> All right, so Sasha Banks and Rick Swan defeated Alicia Fox and Noam Dar. Uh, Swan pinned Dar after Phoenix Splash. There's a cool spot where uh, Sasha Banks did a double knee to Noam Dar, and if it was Alicia Fox, I think she would have killed her. Uh, but, I mean, I feel bad for Sasha Banks having to do this whole entire thing. I can't wait until – I'm assuming they made Bailey look weak so they can bring Sasha back in the mix and then get her to get the title. I have no idea if that's true or not. Shortly after this match, the drifter performed. Now, most people are probably going to – think that this was absolutely horrible, and I completely understand, but for some reason, the Drifter stuff is making me laugh, and they're building him up in a way that, for some reason, I'm buying it, but I uh, completely can see why you don't like the match, if if, if anyone doesn't like the match, um, and then, obviously, the, what the fuck was this, the Kendo Stick on a Pole match, Raw Women's Championship, Alexa Bliss defeated Bailey. So, Bailey pulled down the kendo stick first, but Bliss was able to use it repeatedly and hit her with the DET to retain the championship. It was basically a squash match. Like, I don't understand uh, the booking of that whole entire thing whatsoever. You know, I always constantly say, it's like, well, I don't get paid the big bucks, but this just seems stupid. If anything, it made Bailey look extremely weak, like, to the point where it's like, is she even going to be in the title run anymore? Was that what they were trying to go for, was get her the fuck out of there? And... He even made Alexa Bliss look like less important, if you will, for having such a crappy short match, uh, especially building up. This is the only match that had hardcore elements. I mean, I guess the Steel Cage match did to an extent, but besides our friggin', uh, you know, main event. And, I mean, the kendo stick. And then the next, like, on Monday Night Raw, it's like, oh, Bailey, and this is her marks on her back. And it's like, this is so fucking stupid. They have no idea what they're doing with the Raw Women's division. Uh, anyways, uh so, between Sasha Banks and Rich Swan defeating Alicia Fox, Noam Dar, Dripper's performance, and then this Kendo stick on a pole match, uh, what did you think about all three of those segments, Chris?
1: All right. So, uh, Swan, I, it's, it the one thing I'll say about Swann is I think he might be one of the only people to win in his hometown in the past, like, four or five years. So, good on him because <laughs> he's from Baltimore. Him and Naomi. <laughs> yeah, him and Naomi. That's true. And then um, the match itself was like, it seems uh, super, it was super short, right? This match wasn't very long. Um, I, I'm worried that like Sasha Banks is going to tear her knee or something doing that double knee spot off the top rope. I think that she could, if she uh, she could do something, uh, something easier. Like, uh, what was, what was it that Ray did? It was like a sit out senton or whatever. It was like, he called it like the West Coast pop. Instead of doing like the double yeah. knees, maybe she could do something like that. I mean, it's a similar spot, but it, it, it's a lot safer. Um, as far as like an in ring work thing goes, uh, Rich, uh, Rich Swann looked good in the match. And I, I mean, I guess this gave Rich, Rich Swan a rub from Sasha because she's still pretty over. Um, I think hey, I Wade, Keller. <laughs> <laughs> Wade Keller said earlier this week, like when they were dancing after the match, that, uh, Sasha Banks looked like the only sober person at a wedding trying to dance or something like that. Which I thought was pretty damn funny. Uh, the Elias Samson oh, thing. Man. I like that. Not even the heels, like the fans that usually root for heels, are rooting for Elias Samson. This dude is getting booed straight out of the building. I don't know what they're gonna do do with him or where it's leading. But at least he's getting some heel heat with this uh, (laughs) this singing in the ring gimmick and basically just insulting the city.
0: Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's heel heat or do you think it's that Xbox heat? Like, do they hate him and want him to get the hell out of here, or do they hate him because he's being a good heel?
1: I think they hate him because he's being a good heel, because it's not like he,
0: you know, everyone knows his gimmick is to play guitar
1: and sing. So, I mean, he's playing his gimmick. Horrible. It's It's not like they just fucking hate the guy. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's it's more like someone please come kick this guy's ass. Like I feel like whoever they get to kick his ass will get like a huge, huge pop from it.
0: Probably well, Dean, Gene Ambrose would collect go. on that.
1: Yeah, probably Gene would be the one to collect on this goof. Um, and then I guess the Kendo stick on a pull match. Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen. Uh, a female wrestler get, get go from, like, being the champion to losing cleanly so many times since, like, Paige when she was dating Alberto Del Rio in the WWE and they weren't very happy about it. So I don't know if she did something to piss people off or if they just don't like her or don't like where her gimmicks at right now or if they're going to try to repackage her or what. But, I mean, they're moving right along with this Nia Jax story and then she was off raw and Like you said, she had, like, two kendo stick marks on her back and it's just hard to believe that for someone that loves wrestling so much, and that's part of their gimmick that that's why they would be out um, or off raw. It would have been better if they just didn't even acknowledge it. Like they did Finn Balor, like Finn Balor was out and they didn't say anything about him being out. Uh, but like with Bailey, they were like, Oh, she's out because of the kendo sticks. And it's like, you know, didn't they, didn't Braun Strowman kill Roman Reigns and he came back like three weeks later. <laughs> like, what about Sami
0: Zayn? Jesus! He gets a concussion every time he goes in.
1: I, I mean, I guess no one in WWE that like the people who write Raw and SmackDown. They don't look at NXT, where like if you get hurt, you're out from it. Like when Nakamura was hurt and it was like a fake injury angle, he was out for like a month. So if you're gonna do something like that, make the beatdown look good. And I still think that they could have, if they wanted to do a kendo match, like a kendo stick match. They could have just pulled one right off their network and done the, the Tommy Dreamer-Sandman match in which Tommy Dreamer lost to Sandman, and because he lost, Sandman got to Kanan, and he gave him, like, a real beating. Now, granted, they don't have to take it, like, ECW level of violence, but they could have done something and made that beatdown look more believable and maybe gave the fans a reason to like Bailey a little bit more. I mean, it did work before. You can, like, pull from the past and get good ideas any pole match is going to be terrible because they have to wrestle around one spot of the ring. So the entire action is going to be focused on one spot in the ring. So from the wrestling standpoint, I kind of knew going in, it wasn't going to be that good. Also the concept of like a weapon on a pole, you know, both people are going to get to use it. It's not like you, you, you grab it and you win the match. And that's the end of the match. It's like, well, now it's just in the ring and anyone can use it. So like those matches in general, I just hate, but uh, that match, that match was probably the worst WWE match I've seen this year.
0: Yeah, it was just short and it was just awful. Um, I thought about, I actually pondered myself because I was so bored with the match. I started thinking, "Hmm, I wonder what the difference between a kendo stick and a Singapore cane is." And that's where my mind went. And then the match was fucking over, and I was like, "Oh, all right, well, that was cool. I'm glad that Bailey probably had her arguably strongest promo right beforehand. And it was just for shit." mentioning Wonder Woman, saying that she was watching Legends on a network like Tommy Dreamer, and it was, I I don't know what the hell they're doing. I hope they do repackage her, and I hope she comes back. I do like Bailey to an extent. I just think that this gimmick that she has right now, it might have worked for NXT. It's not working for this. Uh, So tone back some of the, um... it's funny because that type of concept works for the New Day, but for Bailey, it's not working out so well. Kind of strange, but I guess the way that they do it, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, just a different breed, if you will. Um, man, well, I'm trying no, to remember that stupid news, Cartoon the, Network the, show. Uh, well, the, the thing almost, with New Day is,
1: I was just going to say the thing with the New Day is, is, they got clean wins in big important situations, and and the wins that Bailey got, they didn't seem to matter as much. Even though she won the title, they focused that entire thing around Sasha Banks and not Bailey. So. You know, she hasn't really proven herself on the main roster, and not everyone who watches Raw and SmackDown watch NXT. So a lot of people don't know who she is. I mean, I think they like the the yeah. wavy inflatable arm people and all that stuff, but at some point, like she's not as good on the mic as Xavier Woods or
0: Kofi or, no. or you know Big E. Well, those guys together, I'm just she doesn't about, even have that back background. <clears throat> I'm just talking about specifically the gimmick itself. It's like they both have this cartoony rainbows and fucking happiness and smiley faces, but Bailey's is like old school, my little ponies and they're more like adventure time, you know? So I guess it's a different dynamic and they can kind of play that out. She's just not working. It's, it's not, I don't think a believable gimmick, uh, for the main stage. And, uh, like I, you know, like kind of, we were alluding to, I just hope that they're kind of like taking this time to maybe repackage her and bring her out and make her a little more aggressive. That would be fun to see. Cause her in ring work is not bad, especially once you. When she puts the, the dial to 9, she doesn't. I don't think she really goes to 10, but when she gets to 9, she can do a damn good job inside the ring and look pretty damn fierce. So let's we'll see. Let's get to the uh, next match. Probably my second favorite match of the night. Uh, It was a steel cage match for the Raw Tag Team Championship. The Hardy Boys actually were defeated by Cesaro and Sheamus. All right. So this match was pretty much A great match going on inside the ring with little to no strategy but fun spots while the commentary was shitting on the freaking performers in the ring the whole entire damn time, which was probably the most annoying thing because the commentary kept on saying that what they needed to do is quit trying to go one at a time because the other person's going to be screwed and stuck by themselves in the ring, and they needed to try to go all at once. And they kept on saying this over and over again. And, yeah, it ended up playing out in the match, but it just kind of, like, lost its, I don't know, its it could have had a lot more impact if we just naturally saw that happen, and they brought it up kind of towards them, like, oh, they made a bad decision, Jeff Hardy shouldn't have left the ring, now he's going to have to come and help his brother, you know, something like that, instead of just hammering us with it right at the beginning of it, making the, the, the performers look stupid, uh, but the match was strong hitting, they did some crazy stuff, God, Jeff Hardy uh, took – what was it? Um, Sheamus' move with Cesaro holding him and cradling him to make sure he doesn't get hurt off the top ropes. We had a whisperer in the wind off the top of the cage from Jeff Hardy. Of course that had to happen. Uh, and right after Jeff left, he had to come back in. So that's what he did basically to come back and help his brother out. And for some reason Jeff couldn't move that well compared to Matt, so it was a race between Sheamus and Cesaro going up the cage um, after getting the shit knocked out of them, and two Hardy boys getting out the door. Sheamus and Cesaro end up winning. The Hardys lost. How'd you like the match, Chris? And do you think, after this match, there's going to be resentment from Matt to Jeff because of this loss?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they're going there yet. Because, I mean, they're going to have a rematch you would think. So I would assume that they're going to have at least one more match until they can get the revival back to inject them in, especially since they just basically buried Anderson Gallows. Um, So the only other tag team to go against Cesaro and uh, Seamus right now is the Hardy Boys, so I think you're going to get at least one more match, and whether they win the titles back or not, that's probably a different story. I don't think it's time to break them up yet, because they don't have the rights to their broken gimmick, and that's probably where they want to go with it. Uh the match itself I thought I, I felt the same way he did. I think they they buried it on a commentary. This is a, this would have been the perfect spot to get JR to do a guest announcing job in my opinion because I think he could have he could have helped out with his commentary a lot or at least made all the performers in the match look not look like idiots because at some point it's like well what's the point of even getting out of the ring um I hope that they don't keep this as a uh, like gimmick for more of these in, in the future. Cause the match was just really hindered by how you had to win it. Cause I mean, it hindered the finish. You knew, you knew one of the teams was going to get left a man down because they basically told you that before the match ever began. So I think, yeah, the, the commentary really hurt the match. There were some cool spots. Uh, Jeff Hardy doing the whisper in the wind off the top of the cage was kind of cool. I expected a swanton bomb. He, he pulled the wool over all of our eyes. So that was cool. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I like the match. I think it was the second-best match on the show. It it could have been better, but the commentary definitely hurt it.
0: I completely, completely agree. You know, the thing about the broken broken thing, you being a fan of that, if they were to try to, say, screw it and just kind of like, I don't know, say damage Matt Hardy or come up with some other concept and just not use the exact words from the same thing and just rebuild it, or WWE, would that work, or do you think it would be completely, like, scrapped down from the fans? Um.
1: You know, I think the worry would be that WWE wouldn't do it because they'd be afraid of, like, uh, implications, the, the backlash that would happen from it. I mean, Sinclair Broadcasting, wait, it's not Sinclair that owns TNA. Uh, God, what's the Owl. Whatever the, maybe it, maybe it is Sinclair. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Whatever the Owl is, I mean, they're a pretty big broadcasting company. They have a lot of power behind them, so they could be someone that could take WWE to court if they wanted to and make that really nasty. So I think they're going to steer clear of it as much as they can. Uh, so even doing something like Damage, where it's like a clear-cut knockoff version, you get into that situation uh, similar to what WCW did with Renegade, where you have like this weird infringement-type deal uh, where they're like, oh, we developed that character, or you know, you, you get into where shit's getting thrown over the wall between two companies, and I think WCW or not WCW, but WWF or WWE doesn't see TNA as as a threat at all. And I mean, it's not like the Hardy Boys aren't over without that gimmick. I think they would like to have it because they know what the potential of that is and the merchandise sales and everything that they could get out of it. But I don't know that they're going to, you know, push the limits and try to get you like a half version or a watered down version of that. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. It's not going to be like it was on Impact because you're not going to get that much of a creative control from the Hardys in general. But uh, I don't I don't know that we'll – we may never see it, which would be very unfortunate. But, you know, Jeff Hardy's good enough alone. I mean, the, the thing that sucks is that was like Matt's breakout. So, yep. Jeff Hardy's always been over. Matt Hardy's kind of always been the little brother, or the big brother who was kind of like kind of like Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kerry Earnhardt. You know what I mean? Like, not not many people knew who Kerry Earnhardt was, but they knew who you know Dale Earnhardt was. Dale Earnhardt Jr. They knew who that is. So it's kind of like one of those scenarios where you, it, he was in the shadow for a long time. He built that gimmick, and now he you, you can't even have it, which sucks. So I, I don't know what, where they're going with that.
0: I don't know. They, I mean, uh, I mean, they could do a similar concept so he can kind of be that character. But yeah, you know, you're right. It's 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 getting very close to them having to mess with Impact and that whole legality issue. So who knows? Uh, let's hope that it gets worked out. Regardless, uh, second to last match, submission match for the Cruiserweight Championship. Neville defeated Austin Aries. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, that this pissed me off. All right, Ares made Neville tap out with the last chancery on the floor, but it didn't count. Yeah, what the fuck would it count? Uh, Neville was able to hit Renero to Ares' back and lock the Rings of Saturn to get the submission victory. That was a really, really cool sequence that he did that in. Um, I I really don't understand what the hell the point of that was. What are they going to do with Austin Aries now? So, uh, I mean... And why did he think that just because submission match he can drag him outside and make him tap after you know get away from the ropes? That doesn't make any sense. But there's like a lot of question marks in this match. These guys are always fun to watch, but I thought it was kind of a waste of their storyline uh, that they've been building because now he has to transfer to TJ. Uh, well, actually, I didn't watch last night, so I don't know how that worked out. But um, I don't know. I thought this was kind of stupid. It was a good match, like the performance. Of course, between the two of them. Actually, I will say that this probably might have been one of their worst matches between the two of them. They had a little two, couple spots that were a little uh, off, but, you know, I mean, these guys are still crazy. So, uh, Chris, how how did you feel about the submission match? For the Cruiserweight champion.
1: Very, uh, very similar to the same as you. Uh, I understand why you would hook the last scantry on the floor. It, it made sense to me as far as like why we do it. Cause he's just inflicting more punishment. Now what didn't make sense is the ref came out and broke up the move and did a count. I think he was like trying to count them out at one point. And it's like the only way to win this match is by submission. It, it's not the only way Austin Aries can win the matches by submission. It wasn't that you could be disqualified. It was that the only way to win the match is by submission, which I took as the same kind of rules as like an, I quit match. You know, like you have to tap out. So anything that happened outside of the ring, in my opinion, should have been fair name. Um, and I kind of thought that's what they were going to go with since it was Extreme Rules. So I was just kind of I was, – I was fused by the ending of the match. Uh, but the match itself, I thought, you know, these guys are always good in the ring together. I, I think that they uh, got a little bit limited once again by the stipulation of this match. This, that's what's always weird about this pay-per-view because it's either going to give you, like, a really good match, like the main event, which I thought – the no DQ stipulation worked really well there uh, for what they were trying to do. Versus this, where it's like these guys could have just had a normal ass match, and it would have been—it probably would have been great without without all this. Even if you wanted to keep Neville over, there's still other ways to do it. Uh, especially because they had been working that knee for so long going into the match, and then he didn't even like win using—he <laughs> didn't even win taking out the knee. So it's like they just wasted like. Two weeks of build for the match and hurting, you know, Aries's knee, and uh, which I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route because I'm just getting tired of seeing everyone selling the knee and WWE. That seems to be a, a common theme on Raw, at least.
0: Was that a Seth Rollins reference?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: It's okay. It's okay. You can put giant pillows, all, you know, over your knees and it'll just protect them. Um, anyways, let's get to the last match that. Teacher, Mr. Seth Rollins, um, do you know that, they're, that he's thinking about changing his theme music, or he wants to? I'm like, dude, you have like such a badass theme music. I wouldn't fuck with that, but that's just me. That's why I played it today. Now, I want to hear this because there's a hell of a lot. At least, I mean, at least you have theme music. Roman Reigns has had the fucking Shield music this whole entire time. No one's tapped him on the shoulder saying, "Hey, man, you can change the way you dress and pick a different song." You know, you're not in the Shield anymore. But whatever, that's uh, yeah, time for another time. What I will say is that the five, fatal five way to find out who will be the number one contender to go against Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire, oh, Jesus, um, between Samoa Joe, Finn Balor, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, all the guys came out. There was this awesome part where Seth Rollins, of course, went right after Samoa Joe, and you had Finn Balor and whatchamacallit, Bray Wyatt going out there, and Roman's not doing anything. He's just watching these guys beat the crap out of each other, roll to the out of the you know, to the, uh, outside, and then one by one they all come in, try to take out Roman, and he's like, no, this is my craft. This is like one of the – I'm becoming a Roman Reigns fan, and I'm very uh, – it's, it's weird. Uh, I think the way they're doing it is finally right. I don't even know if they did anything different or if he's just figuring it out and kind of like it's working. Um Look, you can say, oh, yeah, well, everyone boos him. He gets a reaction. He gets a hell of a lot more of a reaction than half the fucking heels and babyfaces on the program. So if, if people are screaming, let's go Roman, Roman sucks, or trying to throw, throw in Rollins over Roman and people are just arguing, it's, it's making him get bigger uh, in the, uh, the concept of things. So, yeah, he took out all of them. And then Samojo and uh, Bray Wyatt decided to work together. They started taking out everyone. Uh, There's just great spots. Finn Balor came back, and he just went ape shit after everyone. Cleared the fucking ring, uh, went outside, did his, like, you know, his little um, drop kick into the turnbuckle on the outside. Then uh, Roman Reigns completely spears the shit out of him and Samoa Joe through the barricade. While this is happening, Rollins is going to the top ropes to go through Bray Wyatt through the announce table. I mean, uh, Balor came in at the end of it to go after Roman Reigns, He hit the Coupe de Gras, but Joe pulled him away from the pinfall, got him the Kalina clutch. Balor passed out in the hold, giving Joe the win. Samoa Joe will face Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire for the Universal Champion. Hell yes. Everyone looks strong as shit. Everyone had their time to shine. Even Finn Balor, who I think can take a, a, a lose, really. He lost in the best way possible. When you're not willing to go down and the person has to take you out, that still makes you look like a fucking hard ass. So I don't think anyone has – I mean, this match was just great. They had to have worked on it for a while. Uh, How did you like it, Chris? Uh, I,
1: I liked it a lot. This is probably, to me, the second best match that WWE programming has had this year. Following right, following right behind uh, Dunn and, and Bates, which we talked about last week in heavy detail. Uh, all, all of the spots, all the big spots were cool. I, I really enjoyed uh, Samoa Joe and Bray working together and kind of telling that story. Uh, I thought Bray got some really cool offense in. He had the uh, spike DDT on the, uh, on the stairs with the reference to Jake the Snake Roberts. You had the giant spear from Roman Reigns, which even if everyone hates him, they still pop for for that <laughs> they all popped when he speared those people through the through the barricade. You had the Superman punch spots. Uh Seth hits a big like a giant um frog splash through that table, which looked awesome. Uh and then and then Joe, since that's who they're going with they're really selling this coquina clutch so he I mean he choked out Balor and Balor did a really good job of looking like he was actually out like a light so I really enjoyed it I thought it was a great match um from beginning to end it's it's going to be hard to top that at the next pay-per-view with with Joe and Lesnar being in the main event but we'll be able to talk about that as as we come closer to it I guess but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this match. The only thing coming out of it is, like, where where each of these people are going to fall. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a bit when we get to Raw. Well, I guess we're going into Raw, so I might as well just kind of talk about it a bit. But it's like they have Bray kind of just messing with everyone as opposed to Bray picking one person who slighted him in this match or having one reason that he's pissed off at one person, which was kind of weird. Because I think that the whole the beginning segment is Reigns and... Bray coming into Raw um, off the pay-per-view, so that's uh, that was a little weird to me. But we'll see where it goes. I'm, I the main event on Raw right now has probably got the most talent it's had in a long time. The problem with the show is there's nothing in between. It's just all of these top guys, and then there's no. I mean, you don't have like any, any kind of mid carters really. Um, I mean, you got the Miz who really should be elevated higher, but he's there. And then it's just him and Dean Ambrose. And then Dean Ambrose, eventually, he's going to be – I would assume that he's going to be stepping up into the main event again. I, I doubt that they would leave him down there to feed with the Miz for forever. So it's just that that whole it's, – it's just weird where they're at. And the tag division's kind of depleted uh, with what they're doing with Cass and Enzo. And Heath Slater and Rhino just took a terrible loss. You also had – um, Anderson and Gallo is losing clean. So the only tag team you have is the revival, the Hardys and, uh, Sheamus and Cesaro. So their whole entire middle section of raw is just depleted at the moment.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm going to say it. I mean, we've talked about this and it's kind of has been said many times. I mean, unless they're able to figure out this year, this should probably be their last year for this whole entire brand split. Um, I don't think they have necessarily, when it comes to the mid carters, when it comes to the women's division and the tag division, enough talent to be able to, you know, have a split between them. And it's funny because they end up not doing enough during the fucking, you know, uh, course of the things to be able to incorporate everyone. But I feel like if there was just, if there was just one brand and people could have matches mid card wise, and it was all Raw SmackDown were just follow up shows, they. Could, you can have, like, cruiserweights thrown in there everywhere. You can have, like, a couple female matches between the two shows. Now you have, what, three hours for Raw, two hours for SmackDown, five hours to play around with, get rid of 205 Live, start building the British thing, uh, you know, and incorporate all of your talent. You have too many. Yeah, you're going to have to eat it and say, all right, well, I guess that, you know, we don't have reason for these other tag team championships. Here's an idea, just saying out of a concept, and, and also your extra woman's title, just condense them. Or with the tag team titles, shit, you're doing this whole entire woman's thing, get some more women wrestlers in there, maybe start a women's tag division. Who knows? I mean, if you got to correct, if, if you said two years, like, all right, we tried this, we're going we're to go back to how things are normal, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's not like they've never fucking done that before. Um, I just think that it's – they're not – they don't have – They don't have enough guys to be able to support that. And if you want to do it where, you know, the universal title is like a title that's above that, but we're just going to give that to the guy that doesn't want to fucking come in all the time and make him feel special, but the one with longevity, the actual World Heavyweight title that actually has like a history to it, that's going to be your main title. I don't really care if they do that. I liked your idea, though, where there was like a light... I don't remember exactly what you said. I'm about to pass it back to you, but like um, a light heavyweight title or something like that. But do you agree that... This, the brand split's really not working. Vince's whole concept of trying to create, you know, um, competition, like the Monday Night Wars, if you will, between his two leading brands just makes one of them look weak and they don't have enough competition to be able to suit both of them. Chris?
1: One of the things that's weird about WWE is they've had, they have currently, they have more talent, uh, a more talented roster than they've had in, in years. Um, from top to bottom. But the thing about the brand split is the way that they've, you know, booked Sami Zayn and some of these other guys, they're not, I don't think they're seen as main eventers. So you have SmackDown who has Orton, Kevin Owens, I guess Nakamura to some extent, and uh, AJ Styles, and that's the entire top of their card. And Kevin Owens has the U.S. title, which is your mid-card title. So it's it's stacked in opposite ways. It's like you have some of these guys that are, are kind of mid-card guys all over on SmackDown or people that should be mid-card guys right now, like Baron Corbin or Dolph Ziggler, who are thrust into this Money in the Bank match, which is your main event match um, for Money in the Bank. I mean, you're going to have the title match, which is just a rematch between, you know, gender and uh, Orton. I don't really know where to throw Gender because he's not – I don't think he's a main eventer. I mean, he has the title, so he's in the main event picture and he's, you know, obviously what they're building around, but I think that hurts them a lot. Now, as far as what I I agree with you, as far as the brand split goes, if you're going to do it, you have to make sure that your talent's balanced. So when they did the shakeup, I think that hurt them in a lot of ways more than it helped them. And uh, of course, John Cena not being on SmackDown hurts a lot as well. Uh, when he comes back, maybe, maybe that will even things out and kind of shift the balance. But right now it's, I mean, the, the true main event star on SmackDown, it's probably AJ Styles and then followed by Orton. And then on raw, you just have like all of these guys who are built as superstars or have been built as superstars. And they just all had a match against each other. So it's kind of a, we- it's kind of weird. Like, um, There should always be two to three people going for that title constantly or trying to get to that title or having number one contenders matches, making your heavyweight titles look important or your universal title look important or whatever you want to call it. Uh, My concept was ending the brand split instead of doing a cruiserweight title and a U.S. title, having a light heavyweight title and putting like a 225-pound limit on it, similar to what you do in New Japan. Uh, having the intercontinental title still having your tag titles and then having your heavyweight titles. And just because you're a uh, lightweight doesn't mean you can't necessarily contend for the heavyweight title. Uh, it's, it's just the op, it's just opposite. If you're, you know, Roman reigns, you obviously can't go win the light heavyweight title, uh, for instance, or Samoa Joe, like make it make sense. And then you can add in cruiserweights. Cause I think, I think some of the cruiserweights could work some really good matches with these bigger dudes. Like Austin Aries, um, versus Finn Balor, for instance, they're very similar in stature and size, and that would be an amazing That'd be match. Awesome. I think they, I think they miss out um, they miss out on a lot of stuff that I, I mean i'm not i don't want to constantly just talk about new Japan, but they miss out on a lot of those concepts that new Japan still have in place that really work well um, and they know how to shift guys when they need to, uh, from super juniors to you know going going up for different other titles and moving that stuff around and really developing those divisions so that it's a big deal. If you're the light heavyweight champion, you know, it, I mean, like in UFC, your light had like some of the most, a lot of the times the your lightweight heavyweights are, are, are bigger draws like Conor McGregor, for instance. So, I mean, it's just, it's all about how you build it. If you make the matches look big, Um, similar to what they did with the women's title on Raw with Charlotte and Sasha, it's going to help the division. So if the division of light heavyweights are all going after one thing, you got these cruiserweight guys, they're all in the same weight. You can move some of these other guys that are smaller around. Um, I think Seth Rollins falls into that 225 class. Uh, When you really start thinking about it and you're like, well, it's a 225 weight class, not a 205 weight class. There's a lot of stuff you can do there. And then you still have the intercontinental title, which is, is, you know, prestigious because it's prestigious from a WWE standard and it should be built back up and that should be a huge deal. Um, and then also, I think, you know, if you're just looking for fodder matches, it's a good way to show off uh, NXT in NXT matches if you if you wanted to do that or maybe just incorporate some NXT stars to get some surprise wins or um, over your competition on, the, on, on your pre-shows and stuff for pay-per-views. But that was my idea for it if they decide to get rid of the brand split. I think the brand split hurts them more than it helps them a lot of times. The idea of building two brands is basically like saying, we don't want you to watch all of our products. We want you to pick one show and watch the people that you like on that one show. So like big wrestling fans who are huge Indie Darling fans, or maybe they're just huge Ring of Honor fans and they came over because they know Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are wrestling and, and AJ Styles is there, then maybe they're only interested in SmackDown. I think it, you know, overall, it hurts more than it helps. But, you know, I I don't know what their numbers look like without a brand split versus with the brand split. Um, That's true. How that stuff all shakes out. I mean, I know there's a lot. I mean, they definitely probably have a lab of guys that sit and look at their ratings hour per, per hour per wrestler and who's out there and, and how that stuff all equates. But... Uh, It's just one of those things where it's like, from a wrestling perspective, I think there's a lot better ways to handle it, other than just saying, these guys are over here now, and these guys are over here now, and they don't really ever wrestle each other, except for Survivor Series. So you you miss out on some really cool matchups, like Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles, who have had amazing matches in the past. Incredible. And it's like, your weight... you're waiting around for the next draft to see where people are going to get shifted. But, like, if you're AJ Styles and you're 40 years old, like, how much does he have left in the tank? How much does John Cena have left in the tank? You can't wait a full year to move some these guys go. around. Some of, some of these guys might not be there. So, you got to get the most out of them while you can. So, while you're, you, know, and you can constantly be building big matches as opposed to having this. Now, is it going to convolute? things with the way they have their their current titles with the U.S. title, intercontinental title, tag title, and a heavyweight title, uh, possibly. And that's where I think like something like a light heavyweight title can shake that up and you build the importance of that. Maybe you even do a tournament on a pay-per-view as opposed to uh, like doing like a WrestleMania, oh, like when they did the WrestleMania tournament or something like that or what they've done with the U.K. tournament. King of the I mean, there's there's really cool ass things that you can do to make that work as opposed to just doing a brand split. I feel like every time they get their talent back up, they think they need to do this brand split. And it, to me, it's never worked. And like, I looked back when they first announced doing the brand split, it's actually on my timeline. I was like, well, this is going to be awful. And I still kind of feel that way. So uh, yeah, I mean, I hope I made some, some valid points. I I mean, I know there's going to be people that disagree with that. It's just how people feel, but to me, it's, you know, if you have that much talent, use them against each other. There's all the time in New Japan you have three versus three matches that mean a lot that are important because everyone in the match has been built up to some extent, you know. So it's it's just weird, the, the mindset sometimes in WWE. I'm not going to say it's wrong, like I said, because I don't know what those numbers look like. I could be completely fucking off base, and maybe when it's combined, it's shit, and maybe when it's separated, they do a lot better. I have no idea, but I know from a wrestling fan perspective and someone that's watched wrestling for a long-ass time, it doesn't really make sense to me when you have that much talent to separate them out and miss out on, like, highlight real-ass matches, like five-star matches, because I think people will would rather see a five-star match than, you know, a brand split, but you know, it is what it is.
0: Well, I like what you said about the New Japan thing because, yeah, it's like you know, people could say, like, we we keep on bringing that up, we keep on bringing it up. The reason why, you know, we bring it up, fans bring it up, that know that product, David Metcher brings it up, um, the reason why that's constantly said is because they have a great product over there. I mean, when you're incorporating uh, a hell of a lot more with MMA and the referee has more to do with the match and, you know, you're not doing so many, I don't know, uh it's a hell of a lot more natural, basically, over there. If you were to have the entertainment value, and, and the only reason I say this is because New Japan, one of the big hinders for me is I can't understand the language, so I don't get the full impact of their promos and stuff like that because I'm reading it while they're talking. So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. But it, it, I think, arguably, I think mean, fan would say, like, the most when it comes to uh, performance entertainment, that's WWE. And I think that when it comes to actual uh, match you know, making them look like an actual match and not just something for entertainment, the reason why I think Enzo More is uh, so fucking popular, you would have a perfect thing if you incorporated both concepts into one. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that you're wrong in that. I think that comparing the in-ring work with New Japan, they could take a lot from just doing certain things from New Japan. Um, and uh, new talent coming in is something that, you know, worries me too, is because we just went over it. They have, They don't have enough talent, or they have too much talent, but they don't have enough to be able to fill in these things, and we always talk about, like, what if Jay Lethal came in here? What if, uh, you know, Ricochet came through here? Where the hell would they put him? That's the whole thing. You know, if they get Adam Cole, Bebe, where the hell are they going to put Adam Cole? I mean, obviously, they're going to go to NXT probably, start off there, or maybe someone like Jay Lethal who's been in the game long enough would have an AJ Styles type of thing. Who knows? But, you know, do they have room for anyone? And, like you said, the fact that Cruiserweights only go against cruiserweights. You know, you you don't see anyone besides Kalisto, basically, who can, for some reason, go for the uh, cruiserweight belt once in a while. But he can do his own thing. It, it just limits the match potential. Like, you know, the fact that we're finally getting Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe is kind of a joke, because now I think it's going to be tainted by Brock Lesnar's waves in the ring, where beforehand this is a dream match when they were both, like, you know, in their prime and the two big... Mean guys on both respected brands Of TNA and and uh, uh, WWE so it, It's going to be interesting but we need to go And get into uh, Raw Raw follow up show From uh, the Extreme Show, uh, Extreme Rules show The night before Alright so the show opened up with Bray Wyatt entering the ring With his fireflies in the audience Promising to extract Revenge against each one In the final fact oh, Damn it I screwed it up already one of his fatal five-way opponents from last night, man. Started with Roman Reigns. Reigns interrupted him and punched him in the face, leading to a match weird between Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt. It was a really good lengthy match. I think they gave him, like, almost 20 minutes to run around the ring. Um, and Reigns ends up defeating Bray Wyatt, but they had, like, a lot of, like, uh, misfires, you know, as far as, like, a couple of Superman punches. Um... Bray Wyatt, I think, went for the uh, Strabagale at least twice. Uh, Just, they they have good chemistry uh, with each other for sure, and I I enjoyed the match. Um, Man, Roman, he can get booed, he can get he can get completely decimated, but he's just, it's like it's not bothering him. He's not even like listening to that, and it's making him look that much more like a badass. Uh, How did you feel about the segment? And Roman Reigns, and do you feel like they're, they're, they're burying Bray Wyatt, or is he unvariable, if that makes sense, Chris?
1: I think the WWE just assumes that Bray Wyatt will always be over because the people that like his promos will always like Bray Wyatt. So I don't think they worry too much about him losing matches, which is sad because wins are important. I've been over it like a gazillion times on the show, so I'm not going to bring it down. He did get a win against um, Randy Orton, but, it, I mean, it was kind of tainted. You know, I mean, because you brought Jinder Mahal, who's a not. I mean, this is not me crapping on Jinder once again, but I don't think he's considered the same star level as Bray Wyatt or Randy Orton, at least not at this point. Maybe he will be. Maybe he's getting there. I don't know. We'll know six months down the line. But it, it's, um, I think it's that theory that you know Bray Wyatt. We've made Bray Wyatt lose to pretty much everyone, and he's still over, and people still buy his shit, and people still like his promos. So I don't think that they're worried about him losing, which I think's not great, but it's, it's working for him. I mean, I think, I think Bray does a good enough job in the ring that he's still believable, like a lot of people still believe that he might get that surprise win, especially coming off like gender winning and then even Samoa Joe to some extent winning that match. I, I mean, I know that we, we talked about it, and I think he was second on both of our people that we thought might win. I think I had Rollins first and then Joe second as a surprise just to yeah, make that yeah, match. Yeah, I,
0: I, I think I had Balor first and I had Joe second.
1: So it's, you know, I, he, he definitely wasn't. I don't think he was, a, he was a majority of people. He wasn't a majority of people's first picks going into that. So, you know, maybe they're going to start doing that more, and I think that helps. And it does help that they have this big main event uh, scene, because if one person loses to another person and, and they just constantly are switching these matches up, then it might be all right. Um, I just hope they don't start just doing tag matches again. As far as Roman Reigns, you said earlier that, like, you're becoming a Roman Reigns fan, and I – honestly, he got so much juice off that – off beating The Undertaker that it's given him, like I, – I think it's given him a new level of confidence or something. He's like, hey, I beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania, so whatever the hell people say about me at this point <laughs> is irrelevant.
0: Because he's
1: got, like, a little bit more swagger to him, and I, I know it's not – I mean, it's not that he's gotten more heat or he's more over because he beat Taker – I think that just confidence level that that maybe that level of respect that the undertaker would actually put him over. He's, he's stepped his game up. He's doing more in the ring. Um, and whoever's doing WWE segments on raw, I think they did a really good job with this opening segment leading into the match as well as, uh, uh, one of the upcoming segments. It's probably some of the better segments I've seen on raw in a long time. So, I mean, that's all helpful stuff too. That and the way he played off in the, uh, in that five-way match of just being um, like, all right, you guys can kick each other's ass because I'm just going to stand here. And as soon as you get in the ring, I'm going to fuck you up. And fearing people through barricades and stuff like that's the kind of stuff he should be doing. Um, I wish Michael Hayes had his hands in it a little bit more because they did this build uh, of Mark Henry as being this absolute monster. Um, But between Taker And uh, the work that Roman's done with Braun, he's got a little bit of swagger about him right now that I think is is making me want to be a fan of his, you know, making me care more about him and obviously making you care more about him. So that was good. And like I said, the match was really enjoyable. Um, They gave him plenty of time to work. And for once, I wasn't disappointed by a 20-minute segment because Roman Reigns came out, punched him in the mouth, beat him in the match, and that was the end of it. And I didn't have to watch, like, someone talk for twenty fucking minutes. So I really enjoyed the opening of Raw.
0: Yeah, me too. And I, I kinda <laughs> I want him to like and people will just fucking go absolutely nuts in probably the worst way, which would be awesome. I want all of a sudden like, you know, um American Badass to hit. And him to come out on a fucking motorcycle. It's that big evil it says like big dog on his fucking thing, he's got the bandana, everything, just to piss everyone off. Then get to the ring and be like I don't even know why the hell I did that. Screw the Undertaker. He pisses on it, and then he punches every fan in the face um, around the arena, and then he goes up and for some reason just destroys Michael Cole. Uh, All right, I'm I'm done with this fantasy booking. They went to hell. All right, let's go to some segments. All
1: all, all seriousness, though, we've talked about it before, but if he just started to incorporate a few of Undertaker's moves, even if it's like Hell's Gate or uh, old school walking the top rope, something i think that just gives him one more move in his arsenal as from for a guy that needs like a couple of additional moves two moves that aren't super hard i i I don't think would be super hard for an athlete of his stature to accomplish but two moves that would remind people that he beat the undertaker and then they don't just have to constantly do it on commentating because he's showing in the ring like hey i beat this guy and i took his fucking move what up
0: well, I mean, not only that, they can incorporate it. All right, I, would, I would think that maybe I, I would love to see him do it, but I don't know if Roman could. But I'm going to assume, all right, he's talking to Undertaker. He's like, Taker, I'm not, I'm not asking for Tombstone or, or Old School, and everyone does a chokeslam. But do you mind if I do The Last Ride? Do you mind if I do Hell's Gate? I could use those two moves. I need a new power move, you know, for the end of it. I can do my running thing and then kind of make it into it, which is what I thought he was going to do to Bray Wyatt. Didn't happen. That's all right. Um, God, that would be nasty if there was like if he could somehow pull off a running last ride. Anyways, just something like that to like just give him some, you know, some 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 different things, some different qualities. He doesn't have submission, so the Hell's Gate would be great. Um, who knows? I mean, he could do it literally like Bray did the 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 DDT, exactly like Jake does it. You know, we, we saw Kevin Owens try to attempt a stunner. I think Steve showed him the right way to do it, about locking the jaw and whatever. Funny-ass interview, if you guys haven't seen that. Um, so, I mean, these tributes to the the, the bigger guys, I, I think it's cool. I mean, it's just like if I saw Finn Balor do the fucking, um, the sharpshooter, I'd be like, hell yeah, it's a little Don Sting. That's fun. I think stuff like that's fun. So, if he could do that, he only, he literally has like four fucking moves. He's a good in-ring worker, but he has like four moves, and that's it. Anyways, let's keep on moving. All right, so backstage, uh, interview bot, interviewed Enzo Moore and Big Cass. Amore said he had no idea who has been beating him up, and Cass said it was insulting that people thought it was him and that he would be watching Amore's back at all times to make sure it doesn't happen again, um, which you're supposed to be doing that in a tag match anyways, but whatever. Alexa Bliss pitched another This Is Your Life segment The Kurt Angle. I love this and hate it at the same time. Dedicated to yourself. This is my life. Angle said last week's This Is Your Life segment was one of the worst segments in the history of Raw and then told her she would defend her Raw Women's Championship against Nia Jax later in the show um, and have a worse match with that one than the one previous on the fucking pay-per-view, but whatever. And then in the ring, Elias Samson played a song about how much she didn't like Wakes Bear, Pennsylvania. Dean Ambrose came or came down and beat up Samson and then demanded an Intercontinental Championship rematch against The Miz. The Miz appeared on screen and told Ambrose there would be no rematch tonight. Uh, and then Samson hit Ambrose with the swinging neckbreaker, which looks really good, by the way. Following this, Ambrose was told by Kurt Angle to leave the building and take the night off. All right, those I got three a three qu- segments. I got a question.
1: I got a question on the uh, Samson neckbreaker. Is that Cody? Ro- or is that is that the Crossroads? Is that was is that his old finisher? I,
0: I believe so. Yes. Someone said that on one of the things I was watching. Okay.
1: I was just curious because I I, kind of remembered Cody Rhodes doing that, but when he went to uh, Stardust, it's not like he ever really got his finisher off on Roth, So it's been a while since I saw it. Um, And I'm not sure if he's still using that as a finish. I don't, I would have to look it up, Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So starting out, I guess, Charlie, Charlie Caruso, interviewed Enzo Amore and
0: Big Cass, and basically Big
1: Cass, yeah, <laughs> announcer bot 2.0, interviewed interviewed them, and yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I understand that, like, I don't know how they're playing this. They, they've done a good job at making me wonder who the hell is attacking Enzo Amore, because, like, everyone should hate Enzo Amore. He's, like, the most heel- Good guy in the company. <laughs> like, um I mean, like, he's constantly crapping on everyone. So it's like, you know, he would, there's a lot of people who would want to kick his ass. So at least from a storyline standpoint, it, it makes sense. Uh, casting is going to watch his back. Uh, I, I think it came off as, like, I'm going to watch his back in the tag match because they were talking about the tag match, but I think it just meant in general. So I kind of just let it go, but I agree with you. It's like, or is he talking about the tag match? Because if you're talking about the tag match, that's kind of his job as as a tag team partner. Um, the phone thing, I'm I hate immediately. Like one because I'm pretty sure it's going to be Stephanie McMahon, and unless it leads to a Triple H Kurt Angle match, I could give two shits less about Stephanie McMahon. Um, as far as the segment with. Alexa Bliss, I'm glad that they at least acknowledged, at least the writers acknowledged how bad they flopped on that segment that we buried so hard last week, um, because it was terrible. And it was funny to hear Kurt, you know, basically tell her, hey, that was terrible. I wonder if he got a text after that saying, good job, please don't let her ever do that again, because that would have been well deserved. Um, Ambrose get, uh, attacking Samson And then Miz interrupting him And Samson hitting his move I think it's good because it, it makes it's building heat Between Samson and Ambrose Which is where I think they're going to go Miz is probably going to retain that title uh, For a little bit because he gives prestige to it Now I don't know who Miz is going to face Once Samson and Ambrose starts feuding That's going to be kind of weird Unless they're going to you know, Move Austin Aries out against the Miz Whoever the Miz goes against Has got to be able to talk on the mic so maybe uh maybe Seth Rollins or maybe Finn Balor. I hope it's not Finn Balor because I I feel like it not that the Miz is a downgrade, but it's he just came off that big match and it would be nice to see him uh going against like Roman Reigns or somebody um for a bit. But we'll we'll see. I really thought they were gonna go Bray versus Finn right off the bat, uh with the way that they kinda set up that match with Joe and uh Joe and Bray Wyatt teaming on him with the chair and doing the double sentons and kind of just beating him up in general and tag teaming him so uh, everything's kind of up in the air I don't know if they even know yet uh, man I think I hit all the segments right and besides Angle kicking Ambrose out that was it I thought it was funny that Ambrose yeah. said he was going to drink some cucumber water
0: that was hilarious I that the line had me cracking up Oh, I'm just I'm just gonna go in there and just have to. I'm sure he has some really good cucumber water. <laughs> All right, you ready to go? To the probably the best segment of the night and probably the, one of the best segments this year. Samoa Joe came to the I mean, ring to discuss his victory at Extreme Rules last night and his upcoming WWE Universal Championship match against Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. He said that he wanted everything that Brock Lesnar had. He wanted his comfy schedule. He said he wanted Paul Heyman as his advocate to go and do his errands. He said he wanted his, his pay raise. Great, great stuff. This, just a great monologue. He was interrupted by Paul Heyman, who said that Lester doesn't fear Joe, but you can tell that Joe also doesn't fear Lester, and that's the reason why if, Brave, or if, uh, if Finn Balor was the best-case scenario, Joe would be the worst-case scenario for Lester's potential opponents. Because he knows Joe will take a piece of Lester with him, whether he loses or not. And Joe, disappointed Lester didn't show up after shaking hands with Heyman, you know, came up off mic. You see that everyone around in the arena sees that he's whispering to him. And Paul Heyman's, you know, cowering more and more. Well, that says that the audience at home, we get a different thing where we're hearing him say, like, it was so creepy. It was like just serial killer shit. Like, you're going to feel some pain soon. he's explained to him, he's like, I'm going to choke you unconscious, but I want you to give a message to Brock Lesnar. I'm very mad that he didn't come here. And he starts choking him out. And literally, for some reason, not as good as Finn Balor, Paul Heyman could take that better than fucking Seth Rollins can for making it look like he actually passed him out. Uh, Backstage, Kurt Angle was confronted by – or confronted Smojo, who they got in each other's face. God, I wish – are they not allowed well, – I, I don't expect you to take over right now, but uh, are they not allowed to reference the fact that these guys have such a huge pass with each other? Uh, but anyways, he threatens him. He says, are you going to do something about it? Kurt's about to say something. Seth Rollins steps in and challenges him to a match at the end of the show. How did you feel about this whole segment and then the backstage segment?
1: Uh, I thought that Samoa Joe cut an awesome promo even before Paul Heyman came down to the ring. I thought him just stating facts basically about Lesnar's contracts and in a kayfabe manner, but just Lesnar in general. I thought it was very similar to uh, John Cena when John Cena was kind of shooting on the rock for not being the guy that's there, not being the champion. But then Joe turned it and said, I want that, which I thought was really interesting and kind of a neat uh, concept as Joe being like, you know, I want this monster's entire gimmick. I'm not, I'm not cool with just beating him. I want to take Paul Heyman. Like I want the title. I want the contract. I want the lax schedule. He's like, I don't want to be here every night essentially. (laughs) Um, Heyman came out, like you said, I like he referenced, you know, he, he, he basically said the reason that he put Finn Balor over as wanting to see that match is because he considered him Rocky versus Apollo Creed. So he basically assumed that he was going to get beat. Like at the beginning of Rocky, when Apollo Creed says, there's, you know, there's no way this guy's going to beat me. It's a good story. We'll put him up, but we still know that I'm going to walk out champion. So I appreciated that. Uh, I guess, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm assuming everyone has seen Rocky. So (laughs) spoiler alert, (laughs) that didn't really work out that well (laughs) for (laughs) Apollo Creed because it set up a rematch and Apollo Creed lost and on down the line, whatever. So they can still do the Rocky story if they want. And maybe they'll reference it again. Um, and I did like that so he like, you're the worst. Is Samoa scenario. Joe Kubler-Lang,
0: is what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, essentially. Samoa Joe is basically the Joe Frazier to Brock Lesnar's Muhammad Ali. It, and that's kind of a little bit outside of the to talk about Joe Frazier. <laughs> but basically, they were, like – I mean, it basically put Samoa Joe as being, you know, being some smoking Joe, essentially. Someone that he actually has to fear, major competition, as opposed to uh, – to Balor, who was, while it would be a cool story, it's not like he would actually be scared that Brock would lose. So I felt that worked really well. I did like, I hope they don't start doing this all the time because it works so well. But I did like that he dropped the mic and took Hayman into the corner and did give him basically a serial killer talk. And I hope that the fans that were in the arena can see that and maybe we get the Joe's going to kill you chance again. And they really build up this killer Samoa Joe, the character that was loved in, in TNA and, and Ring of Honor, the uh, Joe is going to kill you. Because if so, they're building it right. Because they need to make Samoa Joe look like a legitimate killer if anyone's to believe that he has a chance against Brock Lesnar. Um, and hopes, hopes and dreams is that he actually beats Brock and whether or not Brock gets the title back later is irrelevant. You can set up Braun down the line. He's apparently out, like you said, I think until SummerSlam. There's tons of stuff you can do in between there, but even Joe versus Braun, if Joe's the guy that beat Brock Lesnar, then you have like a real real legitimate reason why that would intrigue Braun or make Braun want to fight him when he comes back because they can book Braun however they want coming off his injury. Um, but I think the big thing here is getting the title back on TV and if they're going to go I I actually sent you that message I was like if they've been looking for a monster heel or a monster someone that's a believable monster that isn't um, Braun Strowman who's injured or or Brock Lesnar and can be on TV Samoa Joe's their guy so we'll see where it goes I, I really love the angle I think it was probably one of the best ones I've seen. I like that Heyman did a job for Joe and took the chokehold. Um, I hope that they don't always do that and just have everyone beating up Paul Heyman all the time because they'll get really old. Uh, but for the most part, you know, with Goldberg, Goldberg never beat him up or I think the few before that John Cena didn't really beat him up that bad. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple he other few, but he did get speared um, by Roman Reigns, but they need to save that. You know, it doesn't need to happen every time. Um, or else why the hell would Paul Heyman ever get into the ring? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, Engel yelling at Joe, what's wrong with you? I thought that was fine, but like, like you said, it's, you know, most wrestling fans know the history between Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe. Yeah. And they can't play into it because of the, I guess the way the TNA contracts and everything shake up. And they're, like I said, they're walking a fine line right now with so many of these guys, so many of these talents that they just can't talk about. Um, but I, I thought it was okay. I thought Seth kind of dumb to walk up and uh, try to piss off Samoa Joe, especially after he barely won their last match. I mean, he was getting choked out and got a pinfall. And they should have really played that up. The commentators should have played up the fact that that might be super dumb because, yes, he beat Samoa Joe, but he didn't really beat Samoa Joe. So when Samoa Joe lost by that pinfall, I thought he should have still choked out Seth Rollins a while back, especially if this is where they were building to. Um, But, yeah, I'm rambling at this point, but let's continue on.
0: Well, yeah, I guess that Corey Graves was for one minute not paying attention while Michael Cole and Booker T were looking at their feet or whatever the fuck. So no one was able to, like, commentate on that. Uh, No offense to Booker T and Michael Cole, but I feel like Corey saves half the shit whenever the fuck he's commentating by, like, just saying stuff, basically stuff that you're saying. So maybe maybe he was uh, trying to figure out this whole entire Kurt Angle thing. Um, we'll get back to that in a little while. All right, so Seamus and Cesaro defeated Heath Slater and Rhino. Man, Jesus. When's, I, if I was Rhino at this point, like, would I even want to be around? I guess so because he gets paid. But, it's like, he's got a family. He's in politics. So he's constantly on the go. He got paid to come in the arena, get in his gear, and get knocked at down almost immediately. Uh, so Seamus pin Slater following a broke kick. After the match, Sheamus and Zara ran down the Hardy Boys. All right, so backstage, TJP confronted Neville and demanded his cruiserweight title shot. Neville said if he beat Mufas Ali or Mustafa Ali, he would talk to Kurt Angle to arrange it. So TJP defeated Mustafa Ali. Really like uh, Mustafa Ali, too, by the way. Uh, TJP blocked Ali's inverted 450 splash and connected with a detonation kick for the win. Following the match, Neville came out. And made it look like he had talked to Kurt Angle, but it wasn't going to work out. TJP went over to, like, be like, no, 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 we're both going to go talk to him. And then Neville beat the crap out of TJP, informing him he'd get his title shot at 205 live tomorrow night, which was last night. And I have no idea who actually won that. Um, And then we got a Goldust promo. Um, So, starting with Sheamus and Cesaro and going down, how did you feel?
1: I thought their promo was was okay. The match itself was pretty much a nothing match, like you said. Uh, it just all it did is reiterate the fact that um, Cesaro is fully willing to be a heel at this point. Because I mean, he basically pulled off a over from the apron. Slater couldn't get the hot tag, got kicked in the face, and that was the end of that match. So I mean, it, it's fine. It's just they don't have a lot in the tag division on Raw right now. So they're they got to be careful with who they're just putting losses on. I, maybe they're just done with Rhino and um, Heath Slater at this point, but I thought they had a hey. good thing going. Chris, kinda weird. Question. They, let uh... me
0: interject real quick. Who do you think it sucks more for in that situation? Rhino, who's had a pretty big career, but it's like he gets to let now get smacked around like a little bitch towards the end of it, or Heath Slater, who gets to watch the two guys that were in three-man band go on to succeed, one's the fucking champion, and the other ones like rising the ranks in XT, uh, who, who does that suck more for between Heath Slater and Rhino?
1: Honestly, I, I'm probably Heath Slater, but you know, I don't, I'm not the guy that thinks Drew McIntyre McEn- like is ever going to be over on the main roster. I just don't. It didn't work the first time, I don't think it's going to work the second time. He hasn't changed enough. I mean, it's not like he went off to Impact and suddenly became super charismatic and someone that I care about. Now, I, I get that people like him and a lot of Internet fans like him, but Internet fans are the people that watch NXT. I mean, those are the people that are going to be diehards and watch NXT and Impact and, and some of the stuff that he did in the U.K. I just, so from that standpoint, I think Keith Slater is probably going to have a bigger run in WWE than Drew McIntyre will ever have, but we'll see.
0: Sorry for cutting you off. Uh, How did you feel about the TJP Mustafa, or Mustafa Ali match and everything with Neville?
1: I thought the Neville stuff was pretty good. Um, of course, Neville doesn't want to defend his title. Why would he want to defend his title unless he absolutely has to? But the way that they've built Neville is that yes, he can defend it. He just doesn't necessarily want to. Um, he kind of just wants to keep TJP under wraps. So they're doing a good job. It's just the weird thing is, is like, who are you supposed to root for? because TJ Perkins, you know, he's sold out and was helping Neville for two months at this point. So it's like, are you going to feel sorry for him because Neville's screwing him over now? Because it's kind of hard to to buy that. So uh, the, the match itself was a three-minute match. It was fine. Um, TJP still kind of was wrestling a heel style in the match, which was a little bit weird. And then, he, got, I mean, he took the beat down. I thought it was kind of funny that Neville basically was lying and said, hey, I already talked to Kurt, and he said it's not going to happen. Sorry, man. And then TJP was like, obviously, like, hey, well, let's just go talk to him together. And then he, he, uh, Neville attacked him. So Neville's obviously already an established heel. I think it would have made more sense for uh, TJP to do the beat down here. But, yeah.
0: I agree. All right, so let's keep on going. <laughs> After this, backstage, Alexa Bliss tried to convince Sasha Banks, Dana Brooke, and Mickey James to unite with her to defeat Nia Jax. And Sasha left immediately. The other two, she was like, It doesn't it suck that you guys don't have a title shot, but she does. And they were like, This is your battle. Here's someone to feel worse for than uh, Heath Slater, and that's Mickey James. Jesus, they're underutilizing her. Anyways, uh, Kurt Angle pulled Corey Graves out of the broadcast booth to show him more mysterious texts. Backstage, he. he was asked what the texts were about, and he said it was a private matter before leaving the building. Somehow, because he was so infused with his phone, he didn't notice that T Ambrose snuck back in, and also the revival were spotted in the background of that segment, if anyone did not know that. Um, Shortly after the commercials, Callisto defeated Titus O'Neil. Funny-ass match. O'Neil's trying to show uh, Apollo how to do things. He uh, rolls up Callisto, pulls the tights up, Callisto reverses it, pulls his tights up, and wins the match. Afterwards, Apollo is very happy with everything. And the last segment that we'll go over on this run is Big Cass was jumped backstage. Wait, what? Was it a revival? Was it Kurt Angle? Was it Mickey James? We'll find out. But uh, when Enzo finds him, Cass says uh, nothing but hands him a metal chain necklace, presumably taken from the attacker. Afterwards, he explains, big cash. You get better. I'm gonna get another tag partner. I'll figure out our match. That was not me. Obviously, they grabbed that necklace beforehand when they attacked me. All right, uh, out of these, out of these segments going down, Seth. Man, we all started
1: out so awesome, and then it got so slow and so terrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> the no match. I mean that was it was a one minute match. It just furthers that feud. It's fine. Uh, the Miz Marie stuff backstage getting ready, that was okay. Um, I thought it was funny that Miz just kind of looked over at Cass and was like, "The fuck's wrong with this guy?" and just walked off, <laughs> which was pretty great. Uh, it was very subtle but very Miz. So I appreciated that. And then uh, it kind of just makes me. It just kind of makes you suspect that Cass is faking. Uh, and like I said, it's good from the sto- It's good for a storyline because I mean, it could still just be the revival, uh, and that could be fine. But at least you can put some tension between Cass and Enzo at this point, maybe. So we'll see. I would think that you would know if Enzo was attacking you because he's like, it would take a fuckload for him to take you down unless he's swinging like a hatchet or something. At, <laughs> I mean, Big Cass is massive, so.
0: And do the stupid dance he does.
1: Yeah. The chicken dance or whatever it is. I think that's pretty cool, I man. I, I hit that in the club all the time. Uh, so, I, I think that. I hit all those segments. <laughs> yeah, I think I hit all those. All right. Things.
0: All right, we, we have my favorite segment of the night. Um, besides my favorite segment of the night, so I shouldn't say that. Um, but uh, the Mrs. Maurice threw an Intercom L Championship celebration in the ring, complete with champagne, balloons, and someone in a bear costume holding a congratulations sign. So they were, they were, you know, enjoying themselves, and then Miz said, I think it was a really good idea with the bear. And Bruce is like, the bear? I did not, I did not get the bear. And the Miz is like, you didn't get the bear. I didn't get the bear. Just for five minutes, Miz looks at the bear and then beats the living shit out of him, pulls off the head, Scooby-Doo style, finds out some kid, and says, says well, at least you can tell your friends you got your ass kicked by the Miz, and throws him out of the ring. Uh, Then a giant box was wheeled down to ringside. Miz, not listening to Maurice, beats the living shit out of the box, starts hitting with a chair, knocks it over. Maurice is yelling at him. Finally, she gets a hold of him when he pulls out part of a broken grandfather clock, which are extremely expensive, by the way. Um, And she was like, "He was timeless, like you. And then she fucking gets all pissed, runs out. They did it great because I had no idea – and I don't think many people did, but the camera guy that was in the ring was actually Dean Ambrose. Puts down the camera uh, and goes and beats the shit out of him. puts puts him in the dirty deeds, and then takes the bottle of champagne and starts chugging it and leaves. I'm going to assume, and I don't know this for a fact, that he was not told to do that. That he just did that, and afterwards, like it's like you're not allowed to do that. But who knows? I I, I don't know if. if they allow uh, Stone Cold to, like, throw down the brewskis anymore. I don't know what the fuck the PGR did to modern wrestling sometimes. But um, how did you like this segment, Chris? I, I thought this segment
1: was a I mean, as soon as it happened, I was like, dude, the Bears, Dean Ambrose. it has got to be Dean Ambrose in the Bears suit. And they swerved me, and I appreciate that. And the segment was was fine, and I really enjoyed <laughs> Maurice saying, it was timeless, like you. Which <laughs> 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 And then her run up the ramp was the most legendary thing ever because she had, like, stilettos on and just trying to truck up this ramp at an angle and running away slowly. There needs to be a gif of this. I guarantee you, I got to Google it later. I'll try to post it up on the page, but it was fucking hilarious. And uh, then, of course, Dean Ambrose in the Dirty D's takes the champagne, drinking it on the way back. I I thought it was a cool, cool cool-ass thing for Dean Ambrose to do especially because he's known to drink, um, even from total uh, bellas and all that stuff. So I thought overall it was a really cool segment.
0: All right. Well, let's go to the match that we've all been waiting for. Enzo comes out, does his thing. Very un- or very noticeable is the lack of big cast. Uh, he just said that, oh, no, don't worry, Call- or Gallows and Anderson. Before we bury you guys, even though you're one of the best fucking tag teams, uh, over in New Japan, I got someone that's going to help me bury you. Well, it's a big show. Big Show comes out. He's a replacement for Big Cass. Uh, they have this thing back and forth, and you really think that, you know, Big Cass, or basically, I thought the Big Show was about to beat the shit out of Benzo. No, it doesn't happen. Big Show actually cuts Big Cass's promo with the fake New Yorkian accent or jersey, whatever, tomato tamale. Um, Show and, and Enzo score the pinfall victory after throw, shoot show throws Enzo more and it goes to Enzo. It was actually pretty funny. He was like, Wait, wait, you're not supposed to do it like that And he just tossed him into Anderson, they get the three count. Backstage, Big Cass accused the Big Show of being the attacker. Show denied it. I did not realize how big Big Cass was until I saw him next to Big Show, by the way. My lord. He's a pretty big fucking dude. I mean, I know he's seven-foot tall, and he's dumb, 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 Uh, whatever the fuck the thing is. I don't remember. Um, Then we had an uh, R-Truth promo. All right, I like the Goldust one. R-Truth one, I think he said the exact same fucking thing he said beforehand. Uh, So not that big of a deal or anything like that, but I'm just saying it kind of didn't really do anything for me. And then um, Alexa Bliss accused the Raw's Women Division and my computer is now freezing. Oh, great! All right. Uh, Ross Woman's division of having no pride and just being jealous of her. She proclaimed that on the way to go in the ring for her championship match. So, um, how did you how did you like uh, Big Show and Enzo?
1: Oh man, Big Show and Enzo. I I would have been fine with this if the show just came down to the ring and helped them instead of doing, like, the cast gimmick with the fake accent. It was insufferable. As someone that's lived in Jersey, it was terrible. Um, a flex of bliss versus Nia Jax. Like, I know that they set this angle up earlier, but it just makes Mickey James and, and uh, Dana Brooke look stupid. And then they immediately got fucking buried by Nia Jax so that makes them look even stupider um I don't have any interest in Nia Jax versus Alexa Bliss mostly because it's like the most unbelievable match that they could possibly book and unless they give Alexa Bliss brass ducks or something there's no way that she would realistically ever even have a shot against uh Nia Jax so I just I have no interest in this match and also I just have no interest in Nia Jax at this point um for for many reasons stated, anyone can go back and listen to the old podcast. I just don't think she's ready to be a champion. And uh, she should have stuck in NXT a little bit longer and maybe worked with Asuka and a few of the other uh, female wrestlers there. And then did we already talk – did we talk about the Heyman segment? Did you comment on that? It's uh, coming up. Okay. All right. I think I hit everything else then.
0: Well, I have a really, uh, shitty issue, Chris.
1: What's that? My start? internet's down. Okay, I got you.
0: Um, uh, so I, I know the rest of this card, but I'll need your help for SmackDown, basically. I don't sure, know what I the can going
1: on. Uh, they showed, uh, they showed Heyman being tended to backstage by a medic. Heyman's phone rang. It came up Brock. So he immediately answered it. Um, Heyman looked like he'd been crying, very sad. He said he was glad, uh, he said he was glad he asked that question, um, basically in reference to whatever Lesnar had said on the phone. He told Lesnar to instill fear in Joe that Joe says he to, to instill the fear in Joe that Joe says he doesn't have. He told him to show up on Raw next week, and it's time they unleash the beast. He hung up on Brock and threw the phone aside. He didn't throw it like throw it like across the room or anything, but he just like tossed it. And then uh, that sets up the match between Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins from earlier. Um, Joe kind of dominated the beginning of the match. Then it was uh, they went to a commercial break. Joe continued his beat down. And then Seth made his comeback. Uh, he hit like a running senton, got a pin. And then basically there was another, I guess I guess the show overran. I think there was a commercial break here. Uh, Rollins hit a blockbuster. He did a dive. He did another dive. And then he did another dive which I thought was hilarious because I thought he was just poking fun at Randy Orton or something. Like it seemed pretty damn funny because he hit a dive on each side of the ring. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but he hit one on the front camera side, the stage side, and then the uh, audience uh, facing camera side, which was pretty funny. And then Rollins, uh, Rollins from there, he hit the Falcon Arrow, which was kind of impressive. they, They really sold it on the announce booth as it being a big deal to lift up some mojo. And then, um, Bray's music played for absolutely no reason because he got his ass kicked by Roman Reigns earlier, and then uh, Joe just choked him out. Uh, I I just kind of felt like Bray's music here wasn't necessary, and they should have just got gave uh, Samoa Joe a clean win over Seth Rollins, uh, and then maybe had an attack if they wanted to do Bray, they could have just had him attack R- Rollins after the match with you know Samoa Joe just walking out. But that's that was my only issue with it.
0: How'd you feel, Dane? I'm going to admit, I think, it doesn't really matter, because I could care less about talking about the match, but uh, the women's match, that was before that, between, did you mention that with Nia Jax and uh, Alexa Bliss?
1: Yeah, you passed that one to me before uh,
0: your internet went down. Oh, I apologize, I was talking about the promo beforehand, but, um, yeah, that doesn't really matter, I thought that was a stupid match, really short, I think Nia Jax kind of got fucked over, I think actually, yeah, you're right, you did comment on that, I'm sorry, my. My computer going down, like making my brain go. But anyways, um, last match was really good. Like a lot of the spots, Smojo looked like a beast. I liked the big FU, you, like you were saying to Randy Orton from Seth Rollins via dive, dive, dive again. Um, I noticed that he still hasn't gone for that one finisher because every time he does, it gets a reversed. So I don't really know what's going on with the uh, the knee rainmaker, knee maker. King Slayer, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But um thought the match was good, and then they kind of ended it weird, but that's WWE, so what do you really expect? And uh, that's it.
1: Yep. So I mean, that pretty much takes us into SmackDown. Overall, man, I thought this was a really good Raw. There were some bad, shitty segments, but there was also some of the best segments I've seen on Raw in a long time, and Me there too. was two really good matches. So, I'm not going to bitch about this Raw like I normally do. I actually enjoyed it. All right, I agree. I completely into, agree. And that takes us into uh, SmackDown, which opened up with a recap of the uh, Money in the Bank announcement by Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon's music hits. He runs down to the ring, does his gimmick. we Boxing dance. Um, they uh, they didn't say that they were in Rochester, New York, but they were in Rochester, New York. Just heads up for everyone if they were curious on where this was at. Uh, the five women in the Money in the Bank match, Charlotte, Becky Lynch, Carmella, Natalia, and Tamina were already in the ring. They basically got the uh, jobber entrance to, to cut for time, I guess, with a big table
0: along James <laughs> Ellsworth.
1: Phillips called it a milestone moment in the women's division, JBL. Said Shane pulled a rabbit out of his hat with this match. Shane welcomed fans to SmackDown Live. He asked, "What's up, Rochester?" So just in case anyone missed it, they're in Rochester. Um, he introduced each of the women with requisite uh, compliments. So basically, he just complimented each person. Um, he then asked for a drum roll because he had a reveal, and he showed off the new Women's Money in the Bank briefcase after it was lowered from the rafters. He said, "The winner will be guaranteed a Women's Title shot anytime, any place that she wants." He said history shows that it's almost guaranteed um, as a champion to become the champion once you win the money in the bank um, Ellsworth interrupted chain says he doesn't need to explain how money in the bank works duh he said basically and then Carmela said she'll be the last chick left looking down at the floor the Princess of Staten Island Charlotte told her to pipe down Charlotte said that she the Queen had something to say they went back and forth uh, Natalia said she couldn't stand it. Uh, stand to hear one more woo and uh, for her to basically stop ripping off her father. And then they just kind of all went back and forth. Lynch said something that didn't mean anything at all. Basically just said the same thing that about Natalia that Charlotte or Natalia
0: had said about Charlotte.
1: So they're just going to continue to play that up with Becky Lynch where she buries them both for having uh, a family lineage in wrestling. Uh, Naomi uh, took a ring entrance. She came out to the ring, basically uh, said she loves being champion, but she wishes that she could be in the match, uh, which is weird. Like, why the fuck would she want to be in that match? Because she's the champion. That means five other people could win the title. Um, then she was interrupted by Lana, who was making her debut, I believe, back in SmackDown, um, wearing a long, like, evening gown-type dress. Uh, she, Shane told Lana that she's in the land of opportunity, but this is not the time. She said, this isn't working for me right now, and I promise you what – uh, I promise you what works for me, I'll make work for you. Which was weird. I didn't understand what she was basically saying. Wanna um, ask Naomi, girl? Why are you coming out so here with are. foolishness? <laughs> and then it's like, do you really think you can hang in a ladder match? You haven't had a singles match. Um, then basically, it's set. I mean, it's setting it set up a match. So it was like basically an all women bicker and fight mat, uh, like whole opening segment. And this set up Naomi and Becky Lynch versus Charlotte or Naomi Becky Lynch and Charlotte versus Natalia Carmella and Tamina. So if anyone wonders why Dane usually leads the show, this is the reason. <laughs> it's insufferable.
0: <laughs>
1: but that was the first match. So, uh, how was your feelings of the first match in this segment?
0: Uh, match was fine. Uh, you know, I you thought the match was like, okay. I
1: was fine.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it's that's the thing. It's There's nothing memorable. That's uh, what usually happens when you do these fucking three-on-three and don't have a lot planned out. I didn't really understand how, like, all, all of them are going to talk shit about each other, and then they're going to be grouped still, and here are your baby faces on the left, and here are your heels on the right, obviously. And then the fact that Charlotte would get yelled at by Natalia, of all people, for stop ripping off your family, and then Becky says the exact same thing to her, like, I didn't really, like, the cattiness kind of was dumb. They probably do a better job acting with that on Total Divas um, acting, like I said. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know. It just kind of was, like, the promo was dumb. I like that they're doing this. It is prestigious. My God, Lana looks great in um, everything. Uh, she's very, very attractive woman. Uh, let me ask you something, Chris, about her. You know, with Alicia Fox, I didn't know that she had much of a wrestling career like she did uh, beforehand. Has, does Lana have, or Maurice for that 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 uh, that matter? Uh, does Lana have any type of wrestling experience?
1: As far as I know, when Lana was signed into developmental, she—I don't know if she had any matches because I believe that she was already Rusev's manager. Or at least put with Rusev. So I don't think that she's ever wrestled a legitimate match. She has been in segments like when they were when she was with Dolph Ziggler for a little bit. She's done some things in the ring and has has attacked people, but I don't think I've ever seen her wrestle. So I'm assuming the time off that she took while Rusev was injured um, was down in developmental, kind of learning how how to or at least learning that NXT style or the WWE style, uh, to answer your question. I felt very similar about the uh, promo, the the way you did. It was kind of like they were all heels, because they were just bitching at each other. And then they all just, like, kind of crapped on Lana when she came out, which just made her seem sympathetic, in my opinion. But, you know, what do I know? And then the match itself, like you said, it was... I mean they cheated to get the win so the the heels get a win again over the uh, over the good guys which wouldn't be a so, problem except that they've done this you know over and over and over again with uh Natalia Carmella and Samina basically uh beating up Naomi Becky Lynch and Charlotte the only difference here is that Lana was at ringside and she helped them even further no. so I don't I don't Do you I want to know what the only only
0: difference was The real only difference is the fact that Tamina was allowed to talk this time, unlike the fucking last 60 times. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say that. (laughs) That They fought.
1: It is true. Uh, So, yeah, that was it. Um, They showed Shane backstage on a phone. Man, WWE is all about these phones. I hope they turn out to be the Raw anonymous GM that they just, like, I don't know if you were watching during that time, but they had a laptop that was, like, the general manager of Raw for a long time, and then they never followed up on it. So I'm hoping this new Kurt Angle phone thing... Yeah. That was a thing. <laughs> they had this big storyline built around the computer and it had no payoff and it lasted like a
0: year. What the so hell is that Mr. Thing. Claw from fucking Inspector Gadget? <laughs> like who
1: maybe maybe it was
0: uh, uh Russo. That's who it was the whole entire um, time.
1: It's it's actually Russo. That you want some hill heat bring out Russo. Um
0: so maybe Not that's Rousseff, what it's Russo Vince Russo.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh so Man, okay. So Shane was on the phone. He uh, walked up to the Giant Andre trophy. Mojo Rawley walked in and told him that when he won it, it was the greatest moment in his life, which he didn't even really win it. Um, Gronkowski won it and then tossed a jobber, he tossed one jobber over the top rope, who is your heavyweight champion now, just in case anyone forgot how things went down at WrestleMania. Um, he said he's been a ghost on SmackDown. He basically wants a match. Um, and I guess Mo, he's, he he wants to remind him that he's the only person that beat the current champion, which is not true because he lost like 53 times. Let me keep scrolling down here. He said he wants to earn his way into the Money in the Bank match. Um, he said he's got to beat Jennifer Hall. Mojo Raleigh smiled and thanked Shane McMahon. JBL, JBL called it a great opportunity, and then this just plugged the Nakamura versus uh, Kevin Owens and then right into an AJ Styles versus Dolph Ziggler match, which is a follow-up from last week. Um, I fucking hated this because if you were going to give Dolph Ziggler a win, why didn't you just give him a win this week and let Styles go over in his hometown? Being from Atlanta, this pissed me off. You were live in the building, so I am curious to hear your thoughts on this. Dane, you might be on mute, man.
0: I was on mute. Uh, what, what was your follow-up question to me? I'm
1: sorry about that. I said you were live in the building last week. How do you feel about them giving Styles the win uh, last night as opposed to last week when he was in his hometown?
0: Well, he shouldn't even gone against Dolph Ziggler at all next. That completely made Dolph the push that you gave him by beating AJ Styles clean in his hometown. Uh, just completely screwed it uh, just the next week by making him... Like, what the fuck was the point of that? Why, why do they have a series of matches? Why do we get the same fucking matches, whether it's three-on-three on three or one-on-one on, one on SmackDown or Raw? I mean, I, do I sound like Jerry Seinfeld right now? But seriously, it's it, it's dumb. It, it makes absolutely no sense. I'm glad that he got the win, but what was the point of doing it beforehand? Did, do you agree with me? Like, I I feel like it was, it was poor booking once again.
1: I did. And the other the other problem I had with this match is that both these guys are great workers, but they, uh, the the match itself, I think, was under 10 minutes, and it had two commercial breaks in the middle of it that split it up. So it was basically half of that because of the way WWE does that. So you have a dive, then a commercial break, and then a dive, and then another commercial break. So it was a seven-minute match, and it, it wasn't either Ziggler or Styles' best work. So, it, it just overall, it wasn't it wasn't as good as it could have been, considering the two people that were in the ring. And I'm not even that huge of a Dolph Ziggler fan, but he's a good in-ring wrestler. Um, how did you feel about the uh, Mojo Rawley uh, setup for the Jinder Mahal match? I think that was the one thing I uh, missed you talking about.
0: Uh, tying in loose ends. I think it made sense. Uh, it was good to throw that in there, because I guess figure out what the fuck you're going to do with Mojo now afterwards, because now that you got that whole thing taken care of, because it did make sense. He already beat gender, you know, even with the uh, help of, uh, of uh, Gronkowski, so it makes sense that he would be able to get a shot at him if he asked, because he's done doing weird videos with the kids and the uh, statue and shit. But um, who knows? I do like Mojo to an extent. I just don't think he's, he's, he's vanilla kind of to me. Like, he's a fun mid-card guy. That's all I gotta say. I, I want to see the uh, the the bros back when Zach Ryder gets back. I think that would be the smartest thing to do with him, honestly. I don't know if a singles is gonna work out. I watched them on a dark match before the fucking show. There was Ty Dillinger, him, and Luke Harper. Luke Harper got the biggest pop. Ty Dillinger got the second biggest pop. He barely got a pop. I'm just saying. <laughs>
1: Which is a little rough because they're in New York, which is, I mean, he's from, he's, but he's from Long Island, right? So you would think that it would be a little bigger, but, um, Jinder Mahal versus Mojo Raleigh. I, nope, wait, we had some, uh, fashion files. Fashion files happened. Um, Fandango <laughs> walk up to Tyler Breeze. He said he took the bottle of the cologne to the boys in the lab, only to find out there's no boys in no labs So he tasted the cologne. and left a really bad taste in his mouth. So it's not cologne's cologne. Breeze was confused, but then he said he got it. Then we heard Breeze, Breeze's thoughts, which they've been doing, which is pretty funny, which is, I don't get it. Uh, then we hear, heard Fandango's thought, I don't get it either, which basically means that they have no idea what's <laughs> going on. They went to the New Day, who entered the backstage locker room, Uh, They turned black and white. Biggie was fascinated by it. Fandango tried to talk uh, to New Day with thoughts, but the New Day couldn't hear their thoughts. Biggie asked for an answer. Bree said maybe that's not the way they communicate. Maybe they communicate with clapping. Kofi and Xavier Woods reached into Biggie's trunks, but not too far down, (laughs) and pulled out a gift. Um, Fandango told Biggie they don't take bribes. They're not that kind of cops. We're the fashion police, and we don't sell out. Breeze put out the get, uh, put on the gift, which appeared to be a romper. Uh, new Day asked them for a little bit of intel on their money-in-the-bank opponents, the Usos. Breeze and Fandango handed them boxes of evidence. <laughs> Brizengo tried to communicate with thoughts, but New Day le- looked confused. Kofi said, I think they're doing that thing again. They took the boxes and left. Brisingo chanted in their heads, new case rocks, <laughs> new case rocks. And this led into... The Jinder, Mahal, and Mojo Wally match, which was followed up by a segment showing Nakamura back's, uh, Nakamura's video package, um, New Day getting ready for their matches, and Renee Young interviewing Orton. Orton said last week that he had the honor after SmackDown Live of getting calls from some legends, such as his father, Ric Flair, and Harley Race. So Ric Flair and Harley Race, he got some calls from some legends. Oh. Uh, <laughs> And they told him to let Ginger, not to let Jinder run his mouth, because in the end, actions speak louder than words. He said, in two weeks in his hometown, he doesn't even need to say uh, one word, and Mahal is going to hear him just fine, which is good because the less Horton talks, the better. Um, then we had New Day versus the Cologne. So let's get into all of that, Dave. <laughs>
0: Uh, wow, that's not a lot. All right, the Brazongo thing with the New Day was absolutely hysterical. I knew when you put the two of these guys or this, these groups together, it was gonna be comedic gold. Everything was funny out of that. None of it was stupid. Like even with the romper, the male romper, it's like we're trying to keep up with the times. It was still funny and just made sense. Especially when like Fandango is like so like disgusted by it, and then Tyler Breeze comes back and frame with it on, and he's like, "Dude, this works." And they're, like all of them are happy. Oh my god. So funny, um, Jinder Mahal defeating Mojo Raleigh, Didn't see that coming. Oh, the Singh brothers got involved. Weird. Anyways, uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 whatever. Uh, Randy Orton talking to his dad and Harley Race. Who I'm pretty sure he's been in the hospital, um, not doing too well. So, uh, hope Harley Race gets better. Um, I don't know how the hell he talked to him, but either way, whatever with that promo. I do think that Randy's good. Like, I, I, I kind of defend this every single time, but, like, me, my exposure to Randy uh, was, you know, when he first became a heel when he was in Evolution and then past that. I think he's good when he's being methodical and being a heel. When he's doing his baby face thing, he just looks lackadaisical and just boring. Um, so I care less. I, I don't really fucking care. So that there you go. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I I
1: loved the uh, I, I loved these fashion files and New Day being in there just elevated it to a new level. They both played off each other really well. Um, I already said that I didn't like the Orton thing. Um, I don't like them calling Nakamura the fucking artist. Please, for the love of God, stop. And but then, they are
0: saying the artists are um, Shinsuke Nakamura or what the fuck? The artist Shinsuke Nakamura, the king of strong style. It's still there. So at least they're not cutting that out or some shit. Uh,
1: uh, just call him the artist know. family known as the Strong Style. At least make it fucking weird. Um, New Day versus the Colons. The match itself I thought was fine. Uh, it, it was a decent match. The, the Colons, as always, did a good job putting over whoever they're putting over the week that they're wrestling. Uh, the best part of this match was Usos came out. And they said, "Welcome to SmackDown Penitentiary." And then they asked Big E if his middle initial was his bra size. Then Jay told Xavier <laughs> to look up and then look down and ask, "What are those?" Which is in reference to his shoes. Uh, they said if they feel someone is coming up behind them, it's not paranoia; it's the Usos, and they left. So the Usos basically street buried the New Day, which I thought was pretty cool. Kind of gives them. I mean, it played more that was to their who best they actually problem. are. If you've watched uh, Up, Up, Down, Down when they've been on with Xavier Woods or if you've watched uh, Ride Along, the segments with the Usos, that's more of their personality. So hopefully they're letting them play into that personality because I think it's, it's more fitting, especially against uh, kind of a goofy team in the New Day. Um, they showed uh, Kevin Owens taping his fist, and then Dasha, he had an interv- uh, Dasha interviewed Sammy, and that pretty much takes us to that main event segment. Uh, Corbin, you know, he just beat down Sammy again, I'm pretty sure. I think I missed the segment, but I'm pretty sure he just hit Sami Zayn with a ladder, and that was kind of the end of that segment. And then, as always, yep. they made Sammy look like a goof. Uh, and then that was pretty much leading up to the Sensei Nakamura versus Kevin Owens match. So how did you feel about those two matches in the one segment where Sammy got hit with a ladder?
0: All right, so the New Day versus the Clones. Um I just like, I I like new, uh, the New Day. I, I like the, that they had a pretty decent match, but the Usos really showed themselves afterwards. They probably cut their best promo so far as this version of the Usos. Um, I thought it was hilarious. Um, Sami Zayn thing, I'm kind of sick of, like I said, one of my favorite in-ring wrestlers just getting beat down every fucking week with a concussion. It we went from Braun Strowman, now it's Baron Corbin since he's on SmackDown. Good transfer. Anyways, um... And just the uh, main event itself, um, Shinsuke Nakamura defeated uh, Kevin Owens. It was a good match. It just really makes Kevin Owens look like shit because he's now lost clean twice to Sam or Shinsuke.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, the the thing here is, uh, I I'm surprised this wasn't a DK finish. I mean, it made Nakamura look good, so that was fine. But this was a 10 minute match, so they mm-hmm. but neither of them really got got their shit in. and they had a weird, and then they had a weird commercial break as well, so I, I was kind of down on this match, which, which is unfair to Owens and Nakamura, because I've seen some of their, I've seen dark matches of theirs that have been really, really good. Um, Amazing. Nakamura just hasn't really stood out to me since he's been on SmackDown, so I'm hoping he's going to change that in this Money in the Bank um, ladder match, which... It's not his fault. It's just the, the way some of these matches have been booked and, and some of the time allotments that they've had, et cetera, on SmackDown. It's a shorter show than Raw, so there's less to work with. That was SmackDown. <laughs> so wow. pretty much this is just setting up Money in the Bank, which is two weeks out, not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, there were a yep, lot of segments uh, on both shows. The only good segment on SmackDown was the fashion vials, And then I guess if you count the Usos cutting that awesome promo on New Day, those were the two segment or the two good segments on SmackDown. But the rest of SmackDown was, this is pretty much a show that you could skip. If you didn't watch SmackDown, don't necessarily have to watch this. Maybe look up the Usos uh, promo. And if you really love Nakamura and Owens, maybe look up this match, but it wasn't a great match. So that's how I felt about that show.
0: I agree. Um, what the heck was I going to say? Well, that was basically SmackDown, Raw, and Extreme Rules uh, WWE for this week. There's a lot of stuff that we had to cover. Didn't think it was going to take this long, but you know, that's our shows for you. Sometimes it works a little bit differently, but uh, I guess in the next couple minutes, uh, I just want to thank you guys for uh, listening and uh, always come. And, and, and hang out with us On Wrestling Geeks Alliance Every Wednesday at 8 o'clock and Over on the Geek Vibes Live uh, Block Talk Radio Network And definitely showing us On the Geek Vibes Nation On Facebook And, uh, you know Trying to find something to like You know, go out in But I can't find it So screw it But uh, Chris Thank you once again Like always For being over Thanks for helping me With my computer issues uh, Tell everyone a little send off
1: Sure, uh, I was, it was a fun show. Um, a little weird there at the end with me reading in, uh, reading out <laughs> what happened. So, so we apologize for that technical difficulties. Uh, if you want to That's see a cool match out Kushida versus Will Osprey, and then also check out the segment in which uh, Will, uh, not Will Osprey, but Kushida puts over Super Juniors in general, and and uh, that whole that whole match, the whole tournament, everything about it was great. So if you want to watch a cool match, check out uh, Kushida vs. Will Osprey on New Japan World. And other than that, man, you guys have a great week. And make sure you check out Dane's other podcast this weekend, for sure.
0: Absolutely. Geek 5's live every Saturday at 8 o'clock. Wrestling Geeks Alliance every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And uh, I think this theme will send us out and it makes a little bit of sense because of uh, what happened. I want the Mojo to Thank <laughs> you.